At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence. Through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. In my situation, what happened was when your spouse is treating you with a certain lack of respect or dignity, the child can start mirroring that. And you realize now I don't just have one person in my life who's unhealthy, but I'm rearing another and another. And then you realize I don't, this is not what I want to put out in the world. And if I don't make that change, nobody will. Plenty of people are happy to just stay. And it's interesting. I think when you when you file for divorce and you come out with your story, you become a magnet for others who are struggling um, and they start sharing their story and you think, oh, have it. it. It wasn't just me. Welcome to another episode of Voices of Celebration. Today with me is uh, one of our longtime clients, Jill. Jill, welcome and thank you so much for, for your willingness to come on and share your story. So glad to be here, Karen. Thank you. So Jill, I know we've been talking about how you've listened to these voices of celebrations as well. And uh, I'd like to begin by giving our listeners a little context. Can you share how you found yourself uh, on this journey through divorce? Absolutely. And um, uh, so um, I have been married, I was married for 20 years. Um, I was engaged at 20 years old and I was married by 21, right out of college. Um, And so um, choosing to exit my marriage and and change my life this profoundly was a big deal because it was more than half my life I lived in this union. Um, So um, I do have a son and he was eight at the time I filed for divorce and he is now almost 11. Um, And... um, And I was coaching with Journey Beyond Divorce when I was in the stages of trying to figure out um, if 
if this is the right path forward for me. So you and your team have been a big part of this journey. And I'm so glad to get to talk to you today, kind of on the other side and on a new journey. Yes. Yes. And so you got married so young and we know that it's, it's, it's challenging when people get married that young because everybody grows and learns. Mm -hmm. And what, what happened as your marriage unfolded? That's a great question. I think a big part of our healing and our understanding how to not repeat history that didn't serve us is really taking a few moments to look back and say, how did I, how did that happen? Um, so that good self-work can happen. I think it is a combination, Karen, of um, being young and not really knowing yourself yet, knowing your needs. And also um, just a a lack of mindfulness and awareness of um, how you're showing up in the world and and how the world needs you and what you need from the world. And so for me, um, being a people-pleasing, very gregarious, um, really teenager, getting through college, wanting to be in everything, do everything, have these big plans, and then getting entangled with someone who... um, was a little more, was more self-serving and had a plan. I was really vulnerable. I think being young, um, wanting that dream, thinking I'm just lucky it's happening to me sooner, earlier, and not really understanding what I was a part of. Um, So I think youth and just a lack of self-awareness, and that will catch me up just as much now in my 40s as it would have been my 20s if if I don't do the work. Right. Well, and I got married at 34 and I would have described myself the same way, not being terribly conscious or mindful, even though I was 14 years older than what you're describing. So it's not always an age thing. Sometimes it's what life invites us into. I love that. And, and I think when you start getting those, a lot of times, even in my twenties, there were signs, there were signals that this was not a healthy partnership. And I just tampered, the, I just, you know, pushed those down and I ignored them or I distracted myself or I thought maybe I'll solve this concern with something that really isn't related, but it'll be a wonderful distraction and pursuit for me. And the signs just kept coming and coming and coming. And then at some point I thought, well, I really do want to be a mother and this is my situation. So let's just do that. And then things get compounded. And um, the signs are still there. And they eventually, Karen, they get so loud and so disruptive to the point where you, you're you not moving forward anymore. And you're not even moving back. You're just stuck. Yeah. And every day is this, for me, it became this hopeless endlessness. Right. And, and I just knew this is not, this is not how I want to live. No one should live like this without hope yeah. and that it I will think- ever improve. Mm-hmm. And I think that just as you describe that, there are so many people listening right now who are nodding their head, who are who are saying, God, that's that's been my situation. And so let's let's talk a little bit about um what would you say were some of the greatest challenges that you were facing? So you, you're talking about coming to us in, in that should, or, should I stay or should I go early, early stage and wanting to make sure that you're doing the right thing. What were some of the challenges that you faced then and then maybe through the divorce process? Absolutely. I also, I started even before calling you, I started listening to your incredible content. And so for me, that was a pathway into saying, I think I want to make an investment of that, that free call. And then I had that call and I realized 
how powerful it was to really examine my situation to sort. It's the sorting. So I had been through the loss of not one parent, but two, very shockingly, unexpectedly. And I was very young for my age to go through that trauma. So whatever um, anyone who's had trauma knows, your brain and your emotions are not at their best in trauma. And this was added trauma on top of a life that was built on very shaky foundation. I was in a marriage where it was extremely unbalanced. I gave, and, and, and I'm not trying to suggest myself as a martyr, but it was, it was not an equal partnership. It was a serve. It was a, 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 almost like a, a server. How can I show up for you? And whatever's left, whatever dribble was left for me, I'll try to live my life on that. Mm. Um, and that wasn't working. And then you get hit with trauma, which is something that none of us can predict will happen, but it's hard to get through life without something that shakes your ground. Yeah. And you realize, what am I standing on? So part of the work I did early on with Journey Beyond Divorce was understanding, is this grief? Is this midlife crisis? Is this just me having an itch, a 20-year itch? Or is there something really big that's been festering and growing and is now a big problem. And I realize I am not served by the scenario of my life. And this is not a path forward. I think also sorting through when you have children, that that maternal or paternal brain that says, this is not just about me. When I make a change, I'm going to affect a lot of lives. Um, and I had to really do some deep coaching around that um, and really get to a place where I decided it will not be easy. It will not be all good, but there's more good in making this change than there is bad. What a powerful statement. And again, you're speaking so directly to so many conversations I've had with people over the years. That's, that's exactly what it is. It's, we don't want to hurt our children. We want to do what's best. And yet, like, is staying really best? And I think there's also a societal, like, you know, divorce just destroys children, but that's, it's just not that black and white. It can, but so can a very unhealthy marriage where your child is seeing you being spoken to in ways that you would never let another human being speak to you, or they're seeing a model for a marriage that you would never want them to have. Um, And then Sometimes, and in my situation, what happened was when your spouse is treating you with a certain lack of respect or dignity, the child can start mirroring that. And you realize now I don't just have one person in my life who's unhealthy, but I'm rearing another and another. And then you realize I don't, this is not what I want to put out in the world. And if I don't make that change, nobody will. Plenty of people are happy to just stay. And it's interesting. I think when you when you file for divorce and you come out with your story, you become a magnet for others who are struggling. Um, and they start sharing their story and you think, Oh, have it. It it wasn't just me. Yeah. And the fear of just changing everything in your world. It's very daunting. I wake up with this heaviness thinking, am I really going to do this? This It's a big change. And, and I think you're, you're, you're kind of speaking to the, um, the isolation that one feels too, right? So usually if you're married for 20 years, you've got a lot of married friends and, uh, and, and that fear of, disconnecting from the paradigm that's been your paradigm for so long. So it's so multi-tiered. The fears are so multi-tiered and multi-layered. Lisa, who is my coach here, had once said to me, and she says it numerous times because fear can still be an incredible power in your life and it can drag you all over the place. Um, And I, I, I took a number of months to plan and carefully Um, just prepare myself for filing. In my case, I needed to file 
because if we had entered divorce with a discussion, I would have never, I would not be here today talking to you on the other side of that paper. Um, I did not have, there was a, a, an imbalance of power and control in that union and it would not have happened. So I needed to, for me, um, it doesn't mean you can't do mediation because I did. It doesn't mean you can't get to a place where you're working together to finish the divorce. But for me, I needed to file first. Um, and having someone to talk and plan that uh, helped me think through how that's going to work was invaluable to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the our listeners um, are in or... Uh, or uh, facing high conflict divorce uh, because of the series that we had done on that, and and I know that there was that was a piece of yours. Can yeah. you just speak a little bit to what that was like as you were navigating the divorce? Absolutely, and and it's I'll just preface this by saying it's so important to use the resources available to you, the podcast content. There are so many wonderful experts who can really help you not step in it um, when you're about to make, when you're in a high conflict situation, high conflict looks so different for people. But if you, if you are in a marriage, like I was, the conflict doesn't just start when you file for divorce. It's been there. You're dealing with a challenging person, perhaps there's a personality disorder. I don't like to label things and I'm certainly not a psychological expert, but um, there are types. And if the more you understand the person you're dealing with, the more you can, navigate that in a healthy, protective way for yourself. Um, but there, there are those, there, the fear of, is he going to, is he going to take my child, which he tried to do. Sometimes our fears do come true. That happens. Sometimes that's our brain trying to prepare ourselves. There are so many, so many good strategies though, learning how to communicate with someone who's going to just try to keep you engaged and thinking, I won't play this. I won't, I won't show up. So it makes it harder for them to show up, understanding how you're manipulated so that you don't keep walking into that. This is all the work I did through coaching. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and understanding that when, if you're in a relationship where you're controlled or with someone who's very self-serving, they're not interested in you showing up healthy and balanced. So I actually had to learn to even guard that, that view into my world. Um, some days I'm not thriving other days I am, but the, the, what I share and show to my ex, I'm very careful because you have to, I think it, again, you're sorting in your world who is really on my side and wants me to be healthy, thriving and happy, joyous and free. And who isn't, and I do this with friends too. I've learned that there are some friends that, um, bring love and light, um, and who genuinely care. And there are others who it's it, that relationship needs a divorce too. <laughs> yeah. And what I'm hearing you talk about, even though you're not using the word is the, the understanding of the value of setting a boundary and upholding it, whether it's with your soon to be ex or with your um, social circle that, yeah. that becoming and becoming really, I'm hearing that you became really clear about who you were, what you wanted, and were able to then be discerning about those around you and who was safe and who wasn't. That's to me, that's the biggest, that's the, that's a goal I need to have because of how I entered this marriage and who I am coming out of it. Because the, we, we are changed by these 
these partnerships. We're changed by our jobs, our friends, our children, our losses and our gains, but we're changed by our marriages, especially those of us that have been in very long marriages, um, not to take anything away from short marriages, but um, when it's been more than half your life and you've gone through a lot of stages of life with a person, um, it's it's there's a, a massive grief. Even if you're the one who wants it, yes, there's a massive grief. There's nostalgia, and and for me, and it may not be this way for everybody, but for me, it wasn't so black and white. I don't have hate in my heart. I'm not a hateful person. If anything, I give more chances than I should. And I, I, my homeostasis is to be in a loving state, a loving, balanced state. Um, and so I don't hate. And even when things got difficult, and in the course of my divorce, people are at their worst when they're triggered and scared. I was in that state and so was he. And that's when parental alienation became one of the most painful things I've ever endured in my life. And that's following the loss of two parents unexpectedly. Um, It was so profoundly painful. But what you learn about yourself, what you learn about yourself as a parent, the opportunity to grow and to get stronger from this is a gift that you may not even realize divorce gives you. And I would not be this clear and healthy if I hadn't put myself through the emotional um, pit that can be divorce. Um, And I think that when it comes to parental alienation, which is just Mm -hmm. so heartbreaking, both for the alienated parent and equally for the child, uh, you know, Lisa and I have talked about this. Um, A a parent, an alienated parent can get angry at the child because the child's behavior is hurtful. And it's so important. And I would love for you to just talk about that a little bit, that compassion and understanding um, that one needs to have about how that child is being abused and manipulated. I am so glad you brought that up because I feel, um, I don't feel I'm through parental alienation. I think it's always a threat. Every birthday, everything that I have now that I fought very hard for, I, I don't take it for granted, but I'll tell you that, um, the most important thing I learned having suffered through that, um, is that the child is a victim. The child really is a victim. And, and when I say that, what I mean is that we, we cannot send messages through them. We cannot take anything out on them. And when they hurt us, when they hit us, when they reject us, and it's so profoundly painful to show up at a soccer game and to not be looked at, to be deliberately ignored, to be told the child wants to walk out a different door because of where you're standing. That is your child on abuse. That is not your child's fault. They are by showing up, they're in a loyalty conflict on display and they don't fear you. They fear rejection from the alienator. And when I flipped the paradigm in my head and I realized I'm putting my child in situations where he's forced to choose, this is not going to help. I'm going to use the courts. I'm going to use, I'm going to show up in silence it's almost like my silent protest. And I'm going to make sure that any time I get, and some of us are at no time and some of us are a little time and some of us are at half time and we're still alienated. Whatever time I get, that's when I'm going to pour in the love because I know I've created a safe situation where the alienator is not there to see the love that deep down your child feels for you. So me flipping that paradigm that this is not about me as victim first, it's about the child paid huge dividends in me coming around to a place where I'm far less alienated now. And I have 
a, a much healthier relationship with my child. Yeah, that was so beautifully articulated, and and it's so difficult to do, right? When you're feeling so such pain. Going through a divorce is challenging. It involves many issues, legal, financial, emotional, and social, and requires the guidance of a seasoned legal team to achieve optimal outcomes. That's the promise of Laufer, Delena, Jensen, Bradley, and Doran. Choosing the right family lawyer could be the most important decision you make in the divorce process. There's life after divorce, and Laufer's team helps you to get there. Providing options to mediate, arbitrate, collaborate, or litigate, the firm handles issues such as alimony, custody, child support, and equitable distribution. Each case is staffed with both a male and female attorney as their clients benefit from having both gender perspectives on their side, and that distinguishes their firm. You can get your free consultation today by calling 973-285-1444 and mention that you heard about them on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. This is, there were a few times in this divorce, and I'm not an overly emotional, dramatic person. There were two times I was brought to my knees in the course of two and a half years. And the first was when my ex filed for 100% custody. Even though I was the stable breadwinner and I had a home and a job, there were no grounds for it. But seeing that paper took breath out of my lungs and brought me to my knees. And and the second time was when I won him back. I was never, he was never awarded that. But just because you're awarded time with your child doesn't mean they go to you willingly. Mm. So that first night when my son slept in my new home and he was there with me, um, those were more tears of joy. But the things that brought me to my knees were the child things. They weren't, my gosh, the house and the 401k and the cars and the trust. It wasn't any of that. It was it's the child because they're in you. They're part of yeah. you and you feel it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So just for those, before we move on from this piece, for those um, facing parental alienation and they're listening in right now, what would you say to them? Like out of everything, I know you, we could have a whole episode on this, but what what would be a few tips that you learned for your coaching and your experience that you would share with them? Oh, Lisa, or Karen, thank you for asking that because I want to, I would love it if my experience could help even one person and one child. I would, the first thing is fight. I try going into this with a passive, amicable, come on, we both love this child. I went into this, um, like a, like a sheep. Mm -hmm. And what I needed to do was I needed to be like a bull. And when I changed that and finally let attorneys I'd hired and I kept holding them back and I finally said, I'm going to let them do what they need to do to help me. I don't have to fight dirty. I don't have to bring nasty. I'm just going to let my lawyers do what needs to be done because the right is that my child belongs with me at least half the time. I'm a good person. I'm a loving human being. And I'm not going to let someone who altered my life for 20 years, take this away from my child, not away from me, away from my child. 
So that was the first thing. Use the courts, use, use the help because courts don't really understand this, but they do seem to want, and I've had two judges through the my um through my ordeal, they do seem to want to keep the child with both parents. Um, so fight if you haven't fought yet. Don't lay down and let them have that's the biggest mistake. I lost five months because I didn't want to file a motion. Wow. I was so scared to antagonize. The longer you let it go, the harder it is to get your child back to a place where you know they need to be, which is with the loving parent. So that was the other tip is just don't let time um, go. Because every month, every week that you are alienated or cut off or restricted, it it, it makes it that much harder to reconnect. Um, and, And then the last piece I can say is that allow your child to really love both parents, even if you know more. Let them live in that place of love because it, it comes back to you and it feels so good and it can come back to you. In most yeah. cases, I'm not an expert, but have hope, no, and, fight. I, that, have hope and fight. Well <laughs> Don't lay <said>. down. <laughs> Don't fight with your child. Don't fight through your child. Fight every other way that you can. <laughs> good, good. So parental alienation was huge. An imbalance and a high conflict situation um, was kind of the context within mm-hmm. which you were working. What were your greatest... Uh, Obviously, one of your greatest fears is, as you just described, about losing your son. What were some of the other fears? And even if they're like uh, nominal in comparison. I love that. And I'll say this. I still have fear. I'm on the other side of divorce. I'm wiser and better. I'm stronger. And I still have fears. And we all know that the pandemic did not help matters. So we cannot expect to live a life without any fear. Um, But that said... The fears I had, of course, financial, and I've always worked and I've always um, supported, um, helped support my family in a substantial way. Um, But when you have a job and you're in a marriage, your job becomes even more important. So there's that worry of saying, am I in the right job? Am I doing, um, can I do my job and and single parent half the time? Um, Am I going to make enough money to sustain the life I'm used to um, after the divorce? So I had those fears. I had fears about my child adjusting to being in two homes. Um, I had fears about making that work for him. Um, And every time one of these fears would creep up through coaching, I'd mitigate the fear by saying, first of all, is that real? Is that possible? And is there a way I could prepare for that? Or is there a way I can manage that? Um, And so just... if. Learning how to, you know, for being in two homes, there are ways I could say, well, how can I make that easier? That's a hard thing. How can I make that easier? Are there things I can control? And what can't I control? Well, I can't control that that's a change that needs to happen, right? We're not going to be, we're living together. So um, helping my child through, this is happening, um, but with kindness and gentleness and understanding, but then also saying, and we still have to move forward, don't we? Right. So I would say financial fears, certainly fears about my child. Um, Another really big fear that I still even struggle with is confidence in myself as a parent to make decisions independently. When you're used to someone telling you a lot, put the lid over here, close the door this way. Um, Mine was actually so severe that for the whole first year of my son's life, I didn't go anywhere alone with him. I didn't even have the confidence that I could do an outing. 
So for those who are wondering, you know, can you be at this place and have started there? Yes, you can. I'm a far more confident person now. But I had fears of what if, what if he gets sick and I'm on my own and I'm going to make a choice? I always had someone telling me everything I could and couldn't do. Um, so, so fear is just about my own confidence. Yeah. And that's such an interesting point too. You know, we talk a lot about how, when we're in high conflict uh, marriages and, you know, my listeners know I was as well, there's a certain, you lose yourself to a certain point, all of a sudden um, another person is uh, renting space between your ears louder than your own inner voice. And so over the course of years or decades, that confidence really does erode. And you make such a good point about how uh, then being the single parent, that all needs to be rebuilt. And even if there's no kids and that's your dynamic, it's the rebuilding of the, uh, of the, the self-confidence, the trust, uh, the, the true knowing that, that, that you can do this, right? And it's, and that's that self-talk. And that's why it's so important. We do the work to build ourselves because it's, and you have so many people who use this analogy of putting on your mask before you put on, but the, I've really seen through alienation, through high conflict divorce, through, um, even managing, managing through when our world changed, um, if you are not stable, sound, and very clear-minded about what your end in mind is and what you're striving for, it's life can drag you all over the place. So getting clear, we you talk about that a lot in your in your beautiful work, but it's so important to know what you're after. Um and and to know what you want. Um, I, I go as far as to post sticky notes on my refrigerator. Nobody sees them but me. It's fine. Once in a while, my son gets curious, but I put those there to remind me, what am I doing today? What am I after? It's so helpful to get clear. Yeah. You know, our tagline with the podcast is calm, clear, and confident. And going from that chaotic, fear-based, overwhelmed place to calm, going from that loss, losing yourself to confident, um, and the clarity that comes from the kinds of conversations that you're describing, where you start poking at the stories in your head and, and the fear-based worries, um, and all three of those things together really help people land solidly on their feet. And I love that you're saying you've both landed solidly and yet you're still a work in progress. Karen, that is the epiphany that I, I just had built up this this piece of paper, the decree to mean to have the sense of finality that it really doesn't have. And if anything, I'll tell you that it's, it's journey beyond that's when the real work begins because the chaos and the wrestling and the wrangling and the emotion of just getting to a decree, it's a point on this long timeline, now you have to rebuild your life. Now comes all the good stuff that you you fought that battle, you won a war, you you did it, or however you look at it. Now you're on the other side and now you have to reestablish a, a co-parenting relationship. Now you need to help your child navigate. And now you have to say, well, I want to, I have life left. We never know how long that is, but I know I did this all for a reason. And so investing in that journey to me has become paramount to anything that I'm working on right now. Now it's time for me to actually have the ability to, I know what I'm working with. I got to build that life. Absolutely. And nobody's going to do it for you. You got to do it. You got to do it. 
And it's on all fronts, as you just said before. I was just speaking to a client this week. He's uh, a couple of months, a half a year, maybe post-divorce and uh, and the issue of career as a single parent came up. And the truth is so often when we're working with clients that you, you do revisit that either um, someone's going back into the workforce after being out for a while, but those who were in the workforce all along that's how I became a life coach. It was it was what I was doing no longer fit the new person that I was. And, and maybe it's about hours and time with the child. Maybe it's about a shift in values or um, whatever, but that's often an important piece of it. And then how often we hear um, the fear of being alone for the rest of your life and, mm. and truly trusting and believing that um, you've emerged from this relationship, from this divorce, so much healthier that you can find healthy love and re-engage. And I have 30-something, 50-something, 60-somethings telling me they're too old. And I'm like, never too old. That That's the limiting belief right there. I love that. I know, I know for me coming out of this, I was not looking for just get, let me get into a newer, healthier relationship. I really wanted to just balance my ship. I couldn't stop the waves. Waves are life, right? But I could study my own ship and reconnect with my child, help him through that. And I, I have to, I think mindset just plays such a big role and my mind has not always been healthy. But I really believe there are a lot of us that are good people that ended up just mismatched. Maybe we stayed too long and we have some scars, you know, but there are good people who want to find good people and help each other through life. Um, there are, there are people like us out there and people want friends. And one of the, I never had deep, good friends when I was married. I wasn't, I want to say I wasn't allowed to want to change that language. I didn't allow myself to have good friends. I tolerated a life without deep friendships and now I have them. And they are so sustaining. That person who calls you when you're not even thinking about them, it really lifts you to have. And you can, if you don't have that, then you can do what I had to do and say, well, I'm going to make that. I'm going to find that. Or I'm going to find the people who would have been that, but I'd shut them out and I'm going to let them in. Um, and it's comforting, you know, when the world kind of closed and we're spending more time alone and we're isolated, a phone call can do so much to lift your spirit. Absolutely. But you need someone to call who's actually going to pick up the phone. Yes. So I, I, I'd say isolation is not what would have worked for me. Um, I, I want to also speak to the story you mentioned about work and people who are looking at career, whether they're going back to work. I traveled for a lot of my career. Um, and I realized because when I was in court fighting, it, um, I had to take work that didn't have me traveling. And I was scared to let that go because it's the world I knew. It was a world I thought I loved because it was my escape. It was a break from the list of duties and responsibilities and tasks and things that I was given. I would literally leave town with prepping for him. And I come back and the minute I do is, here's the child, here's your laundry list of things. There was no me at home. And at, at work on the road, I was able to just, you know, have lunch. I was with wonderful people. I They were pouring into my emotions and I felt good. So we're, uh, traveling was what I needed to survive in that marriage. And as I took it out of my life, I realized I don't need that anymore. I don't need to escape from that life anymore. And I can do what I'm doing and, and be more local because I don't need that anymore. So sometimes yeah. we're hanging on to things, but when you change your life, we, we don't need the same survival uh, 
strategies as we did before. It's true. And, and it's the ripple effect when you, when one thing in your life changes, I mean, it, everything's connected. And I, I, I love that you, um, the way you describe it, it's like it initially there's this resistance. I can't. And as we talk to our clients, it's really, if you step into acceptance, if you look for possibility, if you poke around with that clarity, you can come to a different conclusion. And it sounds to me that your conclusion is so much better fit for where you are now. We are. Our mindsets and coaching really helped me realize that. And we're not perfect. I was listening to another podcast the other day and, and our goal is never perfection. And listen, when we're married, our goal is not perfection. It's an unrealistic expectation. Um, and there'll be times when I um, and I still feel it where I'm insecure. I'm worried. I'm dealing with a car situation right now. I don't know about cars. I don't know how to <laughs> sell one, do this. And I just thought, okay, well, great. This is an opportunity for me to either learn or even better, find someone who does know about this yeah. and let them um, allow healthy health in. Healthy health. Um, it feels so much better. And there are people who want to help. There really are. We have to just be realize the world's full of helpers. We just need to make sure we find them and believe in them. Beautifully put, beautifully put. So I have one more question before we head toward the wrap up. And I know that you're um, just a hot second out of your total, <laughs> your divorce yeah. being final. Yeah. Uh, any comments on uh, co-parenting, co-parenting challenges, mm -hmm. or because of your beautiful mindset now, oh. your perspective on co-parenting going forward? Um, for me, it's fluid. Mm. Um, sometimes we're coasting and other times there's a trigger and things flare. It could be about wardrobe. Could be, it could be about tuition. It could be something that triggers it. So it's very hard to problem solve and co-parent when you're triggered. So one of the things Lisa has coached me to do is I pause. I recognize when I have to respond and don't need to respond. Um, I always feel better responding because it's what I, it's the courtesy I want back. Just because we extend courtesy does not mean it will come back. Um, but I would say that just keep in mind that if, if you're in it right now, really deeply, you're probably not co-parenting at your best and don't assume that's how it will be forever. You will reach a place where things are better if they're not there. Um, we communicate through text and that, and there are apps and they're that, that's very helpful. Um, there are times when we're at a practice or a sports event together for our child. Um, and we've gotten to a good place where now if, if an issue is brought up like a scheduling change or something's coming up, that's going to require some coordination or some flexibility or grace. Um, we've gotten to a place where we can say, I don't want to discuss this here now. And we hold that boundary. Now it's better. Um, it used to be where I'd have to put the boundary, but it's better now where um, he said back to me, I'd prefer not to discuss this here now. Okay. And I have to respect that back. So keeping things in a place where you have the time to respond, you can choose your response has helped me tremendously. I am actively working towards a place of hope where I want to be able to co-parent more peacefully than we had in the past few years. As we move further away from the explosion of divorce and move to a place where we realize for our son's sake, we don't want to argue. 
in front of him. Um, so I, that, those are some things that have helped me. Um, and, and, and also to communicate in a way that feels, um, sometimes you have to communicate in a way that doesn't feel like you for everybody else. Um, I don't know if Karen, you can explain what I'm, I mean there, but, um, I'm, I'm a, a chatty person. I like to explain and tell you why I'm doing the thing I'm doing. Well, I'm going to be late because, and I'll tell my friends, but I've learned with co-parenting, sometimes less is more, um, not to be disingenuous, but, um, just to, to say what needs to be said and, and to move on. It's very helpful. It allows us to just plan and, and do our lives and move on. Yes. And, and our <laughs> listeners have heard the um, Bill Eddy Biff, the Biff. Brief, brief, informative, firm and friendly, oftentimes less is more. And especially when there's conflict involved. You know, it took me, I'll give you an example of how things do grow and change. At the beginning, I would send pictures and photos of us doing things. When I was with my child, I'd send pictures. Oh, look, we're doing this. And he's on this, or we're here, we're doing this. And I was I was, it was never reciprocated. And, you know, we're so hungry to know what our children are doing when it's in the other parent's time. And I think for a long time, I was getting punished. I was cut off. And that was a very deliberate thing. I was being taught a lesson. I was being taught. And so I had to be okay with that. And I had to say, you know what? I'm going to still show up the way I'm going to show up because I know it feels good to get a photo or to say he had a great day at school. The field trip was wonderful. Um, so I would just keep showing up that way saying, just, you know, he, the field trip was so much fun and he sat on the bus next to so-and-so. And I just keep doing that, not overdoing it, but just doing it enough. And now I have to say in the last few months, I've been getting some things back. I don't expect them, but it feels so wonderful to think I showed up how I needed to show up. I will continue to be the model of the co-parent that I think our child needs and hopefully others will rise. And if they don't, that's out of my control. I only can control what I do. Jennifer, you sound yeah. amazing. That's wonderful. Because, uh, because of the coaching, I have to say, I have friends, um, Karen, who are going through this and worse, and they have not invested. And I, I would not be this person today without the coaching, the years of coaching that I've had and I intend to continue to have mm. through Journey Beyond Divorce. Well, thank you for that. And Lisa is quite, you. quite the rock star coach. So you're in such <laughs> beautiful incredible. hands. Yes. She is so incredible. Uh, you both are. I've, 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 I've benefited from you and all the other experts you've had on. I listen and I hope they know that there are people like me that are listening. We're listening in the shower. We're listening while we make dinner. We're listening in the car when we've just, we're between meetings at work and nobody knows the world that we're living through, but we just don't want to be alone with our thoughts. So we turn, we tune in and we listen. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank and you, you help us. Yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, as we wrap up, uh, we have people listening who are thinking about divorcing, who are in the middle of a battle, who are post-divorce and stuck for one reason or another. Do you have any last words of wisdom and guidance for them? Um, I'm going to share something I'm going to share this. This is something I heard a while ago when I was grieving the loss of my parents. And that is the pain leaves a gift. And that gift is something you must seek out and find. It's there. And there may be many of them. And we won't always see it if we're not clear when we're in the trauma and we're in grief and we're in chaos, we're in fear. 
there are gifts and they're everywhere and I continue to find them. So if you're in pain or you're scared and you're thinking, is this going to be worth it? Yes, I believe the pain does leave a gift. And I've found so many in unexpected places and I continue to find them. So now when I endure pain and pain will be with us, there will always be pain. I say, what is the gift this is meant to give me? And it might not be immediate, but it's there and I believe in it. And I hope that will lift someone out there who's listening and is filled with fear and pain. Trust in the gift. That's beautiful. And that's perfect. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story, your, your, your difficult, challenging, beautiful, evolving, transforming story. I know it's going to help so many. And for those listening, um, stay tuned because we'll be back with another episode of Voices of Celebration real soon. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.